goes on to them and speaks to them about not only what is it to be great in the kingdom of heaven, but what it looks like to defend one another's faith, what it looks like to have somebody sin against you and forgive them for it, to work through those hard issues, and what it looks like for us to continue to forgive others. As Peter asked that great question, how many times do I have to forgive, Lord? Would you go ahead and, I'm not able to go to my first slide, so if you just put it on that first slide, Annalise, that would be fantastic. Perfect. Thank you, Annalise. Computers, your best friend or your worst enemy, take your pick. Um, So here he starts out this passage, and he says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And sometimes when we read a transitional piece of scripture like that, we just kind of go, well, he's just giving directions. He's just kind of giving directions to what Jesus was, was going and where he was heading. But I think this was very intentionally placed here by Matthew. He sets the tone. He sets the tone for this passage by a compassionate and a loving Savior who had compassion on the crowds, he had compassion on their brokenness, and he healed them. And that is the same attitude I want to have and the same attitude all of us need to have as we enter into this topic is one of compassion and love. We are all here in this room in different stages of that marriage portion of our lives. We have youth here in the room that are looking someday to be married. We have people in the room who are currently married. We have people who have been married or newly married. Some have been married for a long time. We have people in this room who have been divorced. And we have people in this room who have been divorced and remarried. And so we have people in this room who have also been widowed and are without their spouse. So we are coming from a lot of different walks of life. And so as we approach this, I hope we approach it with great compassion and great love towards one another. But with a desire, first and foremost, to understand and get at what Jesus Christ is trying to say. The standard that is being set is not Scott Morris's opinion. The standard that is being set is Jesus Christ's commands and statement for us. My intention is, I know when we spoke last week of the marriage series, we were going to spend three weeks in it, right? Well, that has already grown to four weeks and possibly could grow again, those of you who know me well. And, but I want to really take our time and go through this. So this week, we're going to spend two weeks on God's design for marriage. We're going to spend this week and next week as we speak about this. And just take our time going through this, because I really want a clear understanding. Before we dive into this, I think I just need to spend a moment in prayer. So please pray with me. Father God, I pray that you would calm my heart right now. Um, I pray that the words that I speak here in this place would be glorifying and honoring to you. It would be um, completely complimentary to your truth and not creating my own truth or, or contradicting what you've laid out in scripture for us father god please humble all of our hearts that we might grow in your understanding and who you are in jesus name we pray by the power of the holy spirit amen well as i sat down with my we call it our sermon chat team and glenn and jeffrey are, are part of that and we began to talk about this week, this sermon, and again, what a, a good way to begin and open this sermon, because I often, come, times I'll come, I'll have my outline done, and we'll talk about my outline and my exegesis, but 
they really helped me out with imagery and asking good, good questions and making sure that it's clear. But it was really cool. Jeffrey and, and Glenn and I, all of a sudden, we were just coming to come and think about what we should begin with. And it was it became very clear to us very quickly that the only way to begin this sermon is with the gospel. And you might think that that's a little weird. But it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we begin to gain a proper understanding and perspective of marriage. And so I was advised to use a whiteboard now. Um, I did not make honor roll as an elementary student because of my penmanship. So <clears throat> we're just going to bear with me as we, as we work through this together. The gospel is this. God created perfect creation. Man rebelled and sinned against God. Sent the world, all the world, the whole world, into an unredemptive state. A state where, where there is fallenness, brokenness, death, dying, sin, murder, you name it. The whole world enters into this state. And then the whole world was aching, yearning, anticipating to be redeemed. To begin the process in which God is going to begin to make all things new. And we look forward, and this is where we're currently at in the gospel story, is in the redemptive portion. And we look forward to complete renewal in which God is going to come again and create a new heavens and a new earth, and we're going to be part of God's eternal kingdom forever. But where we're at in the story right now is Jesus Christ came. Last week we celebrated Easter, right, and Resurrection Sunday. It's a great time together of celebration. Jesus Christ came, he died upon the cross, and he rose again on the third day, demonstrating his victory over sin and death. So where we stand right now is that because of Jesus Christ's victory over sin and death, that we now have the opportunity that these things that were once broken, right? These things that are once broken right here, because of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ can now take the things that are broken and make them new. And begin to make things new and so that we might begin to understand even now as we await the renewal, as we await this time of renewal, even right now we understand that because of Jesus Christ, he is able to overcome our brokenness and make us new in him through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if we're going to begin to talk about marriage, well, one of the things we understand that Jesus Christ, he came to make all things new. Well, guess what all includes? Marriage. Right? All includes marriage. So guess what? Jesus Christ came to redeem marriage and our understanding of marriage and our perspective of marriage. And because of who he is and what he accomplished, Jesus Christ is able to come in and redeem and renew and restore marriages in order that we might have the relationship that was found at the beginning. This is exciting. This is very, very exciting for us as a church family, as believers in Jesus Christ, to say we don't need to remain in brokenness, that because of Jesus Christ, we now have the opportunity to live as his new creation and his live underneath his authority and his power and our relationship. We can go back to look at a pre-fall state before things broke down and became a muckety-muck mess before then, we can begin to look at it and say, I want to have the marriage the way God intended marriage to be. And that's only possible because of Jesus Christ. His work and what he accomplished. He is making things new. 
And so it's important for us to understand God's design for marriage. It's found within the gospel story. So as we move forward and as we look at things today, we're going to continue to reference back to our reference point, and that's Jesus Christ. And as we go through each one of these things, as we look at men and women and God, and we look at the uniqueness, and we look at sexual intimacy, and we look at, at the desire to be married, we're going to reference all of these things back to Jesus Christ because it is his work and what he has done. All of those things can be properly understood. But right now, you are sitting in this room filled with some very horrible misunderstandings of what it means to be male and female, what it means to, to have a need to be married, what it means to have sexual intimacy. All of those things have been corrupted and have been tainted by the world and exist in this fallen state. But because of Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished, we can gain a proper understanding of the way God made them and the way God intended them to be. And this is possibly because of the work of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about marriage, who are we going to continue to reference? All right, that's right. It's a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus Christ until it's squirrel and then it's squirrel. But that's a different story. Okay. All right. So we begin this morning this story. And Jesus Christ is, is telling his Pharisee, or he's being questioned by the Pharisees, and they come to trick him. They've come to test him. Because in the Mishnah, which is a basically a, do, a book of um, interpretations of the law, there was a, a development and understanding of divorce. What had become customary during this day, that if your wife failed to make you the meal you wanted to eat, you could divorce her. If your wife failed to please you in any way, you could divorce her. The house wasn't cleaned right. Things weren't done right. You could divorce her. Women were second-class citizens in this society. And the Pharisees have come to ask Jesus to trick him and to say to him, you know, hey, uh, what's this deal about divorce? And he says, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. Now, I love it. Jesus is going to use this to correct this false understanding, to correct what the Pharisees had been perpetuating in this wrong teaching about divorce. And he's going to go back to the original. He says, Have you not read? I love when Jesus says that because it's always this conditional statement that means you're kind of. It's presumed since the Pharisees were the experts in the law. They were these guys that were supposed to have read everything and know everything. And Jesus is kind of slapping in the face saying, you've read this, but you sure didn't understand it. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? Okay. Who created them from the beginning? Made them male and female. Okay. So we're going to begin there. And the way we're going to begin there is they're going to take here. So Jesus is referencing going back to Genesis. So you might want to take a piece of paper or take one of your inserts and put it in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 24. We're going to be bouncing back and forth between Matthew 19 and Genesis 18. Because, well, Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, have you not read? So I think it would be pretty prudent for us to go read it, right? It, it might be good for us to go read what he says in Genesis chapter 2 in regards to this quote that he is quoting from here, Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man would, he would call them, 
excuse me, and whatever the, <laughs> actually you gave me, you're skipping line this morning, help me out there. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a, found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its flesh with its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Where does Jesus begin with the Pharisees? Begins with the Pharisees with his understanding of man and woman. When addressing the issue of divorce, Jesus says, Do you even understand what marriage is supposed to be like in the first place? That's why before we get to the divorce talk here in three weeks, potentially three weeks, and before we get there, we need to first begin and start with a proper understanding of what God's design for marriage was. And Jesus begins by saying, in the beginning, God created man and he created woman. And man and woman were called to have this amazing, wonderful, unique, powerful relationship with God. The Westminster Confession states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why were you created? To glorify God. God didn't make us to be bankers. God didn't make us to be landscapers. God didn't make us to be principals, teachers, doctors, pastors. That is not our identity. Our identity is a people who worship and glorify God. That is why God made us. And so for us to begin to understand our role and our purpose in marriage, we first must understand God made us to glorify him first and foremost. That is why you were made. Everything else, the pastoring, the teaching, the principling, the doctoring, the, the physical therapy, the massage therapy, all those other wonderful things that we have, we use to glorify God as tools in our toolbox that God has given us things to enjoy doing. But the purpose of which we do everything is to glorify Him. is to be a people to glorify God. And so when God makes man and God makes woman, He makes them with the intention to glorify Him, that they would glorify God. That man and woman would glorify God. And that is their sole purpose. And so even before we get to the marriage person, God made Adam to glorify God. And when God makes Eve, he, he makes her to glorify him. And in this relationship that we would glorify God and to serve God. An author states, broken marriage is always, always. And I do not believe that's an overstatement always involve at least one partner moving away from God so that the starting place in in having a marriage according to God's design is genuine conversion and a daily walk with God. For us to begin to talk about marriage and what it looks like for us to have strong marriages and the design for marriage, we got to first begin and understand God has called us to be in relationship with him. I completely agree with the author that if the man says, you know what, I don't want to break, have this relationship with God, 
I'm kind of tired of this. I don't think God's working out for me in my best interest. I think I need to go and, and put other things on the throne of my heart besides God, a money, career, other things or in which we're going to pursue. And I'm going to then guess what's going to happen. Because God says, Jesus Christ told us that the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. And what we need to understand that this relationship between man and woman is directly proportionate or brought together in this relationship right here. So as man forsakes his relationship to God, he forsakes his relationships to his wife. And this marriage becomes weak. And this marriage becomes in trouble. Why? Because this man has forsaken his relationship with God. And the same thing with women, that we were created. God made us to be in relationship with God, to glorify Him. And so that when we stop worshiping and glorifying God with our lives and in our hearts, then our ability to have a healthy relationship between man and woman becomes impossible. Let me reiterate that. Becomes impossible. Because it's only when we have a a wonderful relationship with God are we able to forgive, to serve others well, to place the needs of others before ourselves. All those things that we were commanded to do by God only makes it possible when we're worshiping God the Father and relating to Him that we have this ability to have a very strong, a very powerful, and a very wonderful marriage. You see, I can't sit there and say I love God while hating my wife. And my wife can't say she loves God while hating me. And I can't tell my wife I love her and cherish her and adore her if I hate my relationship with God. Because the only way I can properly love her, cherish her, and adore her is if my relationship with God is in proper alignment and he is sitting firmly upon the throne of my heart. Because if I kick God off the throne of my heart and I put my wife on the throne of my heart, I've now put her in a position that she cannot live up to because she will fail me. She will let me down. She will hurt me and I will become angry at her and I will become bitter and resentful against her because she is failing me because she, I have now made her my God. You see, the only way we have strong marriages and a proper understanding of God's design for marriage is to understand we were made to glorify God as men and women. That's where it begins. And if you're sitting here this morning and you may know someone, you yourself may be struggling in your own marriage right now. My charge and my question to you is how is your relationship with the Almighty God? Are you spending time regularly with Him? Are you praying with Him? Are you, do you even believe? Do you even believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came and He died upon the cross for your sins and He rose on the third day? And have you trusted in Him and do you have a personal relationship with Him? Because if you want to have a successful marriage, if you want to have a successful relationship with men and women, this is the most important thing in the, on the planet, folks. And so when we see, when I watch Christians, and this breaks my heart of all ages, beginning to enter into a relationship with a man or a woman, and that man or that woman does not have a relationship with God, and this believer does, I'm screaming, Get out! Run! That is not what God intends for you. Now, there are stories where in which people come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the bleeding spouse. We don't set the rule by the exception. 
Do you understand what I mean? We don't say, Jesus Christ said, don't enter into those relationships because the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. And you don't want anyone who can't love you and love that relationship well. Because it's heading for destruction. Parents, train your kids up this way. You have every right to talk into your kid's dating relationship. Every right. In fact, it's your responsibility. Ask Ethan. Poor kid doesn't get 100 questions after getting off the phone with Hannah. Because I want to know. And I think it's a really cool time that as he enters into his first dating relationship with another believer, and, and she's growing up in a little different mindset of church, and, and they're having great discussions and conversations, and we're going to have a great discussion and conversation, and I get to mentor my son, and I get to disciple my son as he's working through this, and I get to see him. This is a great opportunity because what Ethan needs to know first and foremost is that his relationship with God has to be amazing in order to have a good relationship with Hannah. Because he cannot, I'm going to use the word love, because we're called to love one another, okay? But everybody's going to be like, I need a teenager. Got it, okay. But he can't love her. He can't be a good boyfriend to her if he does not love God first. Because we can't separate this out. There is no separating these relationships. It is united together that as our relationship with god it impacts our relationship with others there's no division of this relationship and i hope that makes sense and i'm spending a lot of time here because i think this is right out of the gate where we go wrong in marriage and relationships it's because we find somebody attractive we find somebody and so we forsake our relationship with god we say you know what i'm gonna you know what this person doesn't know God, but you know what? Maybe they'll come to know God through my faith. And so we're going to say, you know what? I'm going to join into a relationship. I'm going to let my heart, because you know it, when you break up with somebody, it hurts. Even if you broke up with them, there's still that hurt there, right? Because your heart began to become attached to this person. Even if it's before marriage, even in a dating relationship. And that's why even our, my teens in this room, I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm hoping you're feeling it a little bit and I'm making you uncomfortable and that's okay. Jesus sets the standard high. He's the one setting the bar. He's the one setting the standard high. And so I'm asking you guys to pay attention to the standard that he's setting and don't do anything that would inhibit or prevent your relationship with God. That's first. Because if you want to love the other person well, the only way to love them well is if you're glorifying God and they can glorify God with you. Then you can take care of each other well. I know I'm going to be in a lot of trouble later, and and we'll have some conversations. It'll be good conversations, or I like conversations, okay? Um, The second thing that we we notice in this passage is that God made man and woman unique. How does God make Adam? Women, you may not use this later against your husbands. I'm just... Dust. Thank you, Nicole. Figured one of the ladies would soon to speak up. Dust. God made man out of dust, out of the dirt. How does God make Eve? Out of a rib, out of his side. God made them, even in the way God made Adam and God made Eve, was unique. The world wants to completely obliterate and destroy the uniqueness of man and woman. And we as his people need to take back that uniqueness and celebrate it. 
God made man unique. God made woman unique. God said that he will make Adam a helper suitable for him. The Hebrew word is not demeaning. It is often used of God's help for those in distress and for military assistance. It points to the fact that the husband needs and even depends on his wife's support and help. But we also need to remember Paul's words that man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. That's not chauvinistic. That's not domineering. It's the Bible. So if you have an issue with it, take up with God. Okay? That verse alone destroys the feminist view that there are no distinctions between based on gender. The fact that God created the woman as a helper even points to her subordinate role to her husband even before the fall. This relationship that is outlined in Scripture took place from where? The beginning. It's not as a result of sin in the fall. Now, how can we know that? How can we know a subordinate relationship is not something that's a result of the fall? Well, let's take a look at something that's perfect, that's been perfect forever. How many of you would contend that the Holy Spirit, the relationship within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, is a perfect union? Would we all say that's a perfect union, right? No sin, never has been sin within this union as far as like how they interact. God has always been perfect, and here we go. Okay, well then, if the Son in the Garden of Gethsemane says to the Father... Lord, please let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. He is submitting, he is subordinating himself to the will of the Father. And then in John chapters 14 and 15 and 16, we hear about Jesus telling his disciples that he's going to send the Spirit, the Helper, to be with us and walk with us. So within the very Godhead, within the Trinity, we see subordination taking place. Well, that's not a result of the fall. That's the way it's always been. God the Father perfectly plans out creation, the creation of the world, the Holy Spirit. Excuse me, the Son is identified as the Creator. The Holy Spirit sustains all creation. We see in all acts of God, the the Trinity, the working out perfectly together. So if we see this in this relationship of God, of there's no sin, there's nothing there that can cause any kind of sin, never can be sin, and they're subordinating one to another, perfect and perfect power, perfect unity, equal together, but yet you see this relationship, then why do we promote come to marriage and all of a sudden we say, I'm not submitting to her. I'm not submitting to him. I'm not loving her the way I need to love her. All of a sudden we run into this, but we come to marriage and we think we can just dismiss what the scriptures say you see in ephesians chapter 5 i i wish but it's not there there was there's no conditional statement there's no statement to the husband if your wife submits well love her as christ loved the church it doesn't say that does it it says do it and he doesn't turn to the wife and he doesn't say to the wife If your husband loves you perfectly as Christ loves the church, then submit to him. Because we have failed to understand that we need to glorify God in our marriage. Women and their uniqueness and the way God made them, they're to trust God. 
and serve God. My wife is to trust God more than she trusts me and as she submits to my spiritual authority in the home. And I am to trust God more than I trust my wife's submission to my authority. You see, if we keep these relationships this way, this relationship strong, then this relationship gets stronger. And the things that God has commanded us to do within marriage become possible to do. Why? Because Jesus Christ is redeeming the broken things and he is bringing us back to renewing things and redeeming things the way it used to be. It's because of Jesus Christ it is possible to live Ephesians 5 out in our marriages. Now, I want to pause for a second and go to the caveat that maybe a lot of people are thinking in here. Pastor Scott is not standing up here and advocating that in abusive situations, women need to remain. I am not advocating that at all. If women are being physically and sexually abused in their marriages, they need to get get help. And the church is a safe place to get help from. And we need to take a look and we need to get, get help for that marriage. If it's possible for that marriage to be redeemed and restored, then it gets redeemed and restored. If it's not possible, then to get that woman to safety. And if it means leaving that marriage, means leaving that marriage. And you and I will argue about that next week when we talk about the permanency of marriage and that marriage is a covenant. But Christ makes it plain here that covenants can be violated and broken. And we'll deal with that next week. But sometimes, because of our unwillingness to work things out because of the sin in our hearts we claim abuse when abuse is not there and i'm talking about verbal abuse or people say i've been abused and sometimes it's not there but they claim it because they went out of the relationship let's not do that let's be honest with ourselves about what's truly going on in the marriage and work through things god made women and men and women unique now i want to say something the uniqueness between men and women God appointed men to be the spiritual heads and leaders of the home. God is going to hold us men accountable for how we lead our families well. That is on us, men. And if you, let me tell you what, men, if you turn over your authority to your wife, your spiritual authority, and don't miss this, men in this room, you are called to be the spiritual leaders of your home. And if you turn that authority over to your wife, God will hold you accountable for it. He will not hold your wife accountable for the spiritual headship of that home he will hold her accountable for how she submitted to your leadership and authority as a spiritual leader it is yours and if you have turned over your reins and i don't mean like reign as king beating down but it reigns as as far as leading your family to your wife you need to go home and lovingly have a powerful conversation and you need to repent to your wife for putting her in a position she should have never been put in because of your disobedience and your unfaithfulness to God, and you confess your sin to each other, you repent, and you lovingly lead your families forward. And I know I just lost a few friends, but I'd rather you hear the truth of that. Because God is going to count, hold you accountable someday. He's going to hold me accountable someday for what I'm teaching out of this passage of Scripture. So men, and what's really cool, I think our men feel like, well, Scott, that's easy for you today. You got a seminary degree. Right? 
I mean, spent four years in seminary. Of course, it's a little bit easier for me to lead my family spiritually because I've got all this head knowledge. Let me tell you what. Sometimes head knowledge sets you back further than, than you'd like to know. Women, God has called you to a powerful position within your home. And just because things are unique in the men and women's roles and relationship within the home, it does not mean they're superior. God never calls the male's role superior to the female's role. He never says that. He says they're unique. They're different. They're both vital and they're both important. How do we know that? Because male and female, they're in the imago Dei. They're in the image of God. They're both necessary. They're both important and needed. It's also for important for you to understand that we need to embrace these differences, brothers and sisters. We need to embrace them and not run from them. It's the way God made us. And, and it's as we want to have the relationship we're supposed to have within our marriages, we want to get back to here how God intended it to be. And because of Jesus Christ, because of what he accomplished, he makes this possible to be this way. He makes it possible. And if you, before we start, remember, the call for the husband is to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And you want to talk about patient? Jesus should have nuked us how many times by now? He is a loving head. He is a loving bridegroom. And he is patient. And he is forgiving. He is loving and he is compassionate, and he heals, and he stands firm in the truth. And it is possible to do all of those things through Jesus Christ. Great passage here, Genesis chapter 2. <laughs> you notice God pauses for a minute before making Eve. God makes Adam... Name all the animals. And, and if you look at God's creation, God said the birds were good, the bees were good, the flowers were good, the trees were good, the grass was good, the sky was good, the water was good, the, the land was good. But what does he say? There's only one thing mentioned in all of God's creation that wasn't good, and that was Adam being alone. That he said he wasn't good. Well, how did Adam know it wasn't good? You see, if God would have just created Eve, I don't think Adam would have appreciated Eve quite as much. So, so God causes, I don't know how long there was a pause between Adam's creation and Eve's creation, but God causes the animals to come to Adam, and Adam was tasked with naming the animals. And when Adam was called to name the animals, the, there was a female and a male. And there was a female and a male. There was cows and horses and, and, and all these wonderful animals that God created. They were male and female. And he, God is seeing all of them brought before. And Adam is watching this take place. And he's going, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have that suitable companion? That, 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 that perfect interlocking jigsaw puzzle piece that, that I'm missing in my life. Like they had jigsaw puzzle pieces back in the garden. But you know, but, you know there, there's something missing. There's, there's something missing, and I, and I want this, in, I need this connection. All the animals have it, but I don't have it. And Adam had a longing, and he had a need. God did not give Adam the gift of celibacy, okay? And I truly believe that gift is out there. Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 7. 
Jesus even references it. But we see that there is this gift, incredible gift, for people to remain single and, and pursue God and worship God. But Adam did not have that gift. He saw that he was missing something and he had a longing and he had a desire to have a compatible helpmate. And so what does God do? God makes Eve. He has Adam to lay down and I love how God takes Eve out of Adam's side. Boy, they're having a good time upstairs. (laughs) Taking a rib out of Adam's side. He doesn't take a toe out of her of his foot so that he can walk all over her. He doesn't take her a bone out of his head so that she could roll over him. She took a bone out of the side so that they could be partners in life together and walk alongside of each other. It's powerful. God does things intentionally. Don't miss that in Scripture. When God writes this book and and Moses is telling this book and writing these things down for the people in the wilderness, this is very important for them to understand the proper relationship between husband and wife. And Adam has this need. And when he sees woman, he says, this at last. Adam has been searching. Adam has been longing. Adam has been wanting. He has this need. He goes, at last. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And they shall be called, or she shall be called woman. And he is excited. And all the texts and all the literature of all the different theologians that have gone over this text, every one of them agree on one thing. Adam is exclaiming here. He is excited to see what God has made him that perfectly fits and joins together with him. And he wants to have a companionship and wants to be in relationship with her. Adam has a desire and a need for a companion in life. And the language here is one of companionship and helper as they come together to live life glorifying God together. Adam is so excited to see Eve. But you notice what Adam doesn't say here. Adam doesn't say, she looks okay, but let me take her for a spin. I, you laugh, but how much of your, the world is saying that? Well, how do you know if it's right, Adam? Don't jump into this too quickly. Take that one around the block a couple times, and if it goes well, then sure. That's not what God did here. God made a companion, and Adam desired companionship. Adam desired to have someone in relationship with him. To marry. To spend his life with. To join into marriage and have this powerful need and relationship to serve God and worship God together. Adam, Adam wants this. And, and because of Adam's need for Mary to marry and to join together, and because of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, it's okay to have a need to be married. Now, some of you say, well, that's codependency. We go to CR for that. Okay? No. Because of Jesus Christ... There can be a healthy understanding of a need to be married because Jesus Christ is firmly upon the throne of our hearts and we don't need someone to sit upon the throne of our hearts. We need somebody to share life with and worship God with together. That's a distinct difference than somebody who says, I need a wife. Well, why do you need a wife? Because my life is failing and I'm incomplete. Well, if Jesus isn't completing you first, then you're going to destroy the marriage even before it starts. But because of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us, it is okay to say, I have a need to be married. 
because Christ is firmly seated upon the throne of my heart and a desire to join in a union with my wife or with my husband, as, as the case may be, and serve God together. It's okay to say that. And for Adam, it's okay for Adam to need Eve because Adam's in the garden in perfect relationship with God, but God made them to be together, to glorify him together. And finally, I know I'm going long and I apologize, but I just want to be clear this morning. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The language there is cleave, cling to, and they shall become one flesh. The man and the woman were both naked and not ashamed. God made them to be in sexual union together. That is something that is beautiful. But God never designed sexual intimacy to precede the companionship of marriage first. God says, be married and then enjoy this. Have this powerful, wonderful relationship with your spouse as friends, as getting to know one another, as pursuing each other and learning these things. And then when you get married, this is amazing. But sexual intimacy, and just like the need to be married in today's culture and today's society, has been placed upon the thing to be worshipped and the thing to be ruled. If, if the sex isn't good, then you shouldn't get married. Well, the reason the sex isn't good is because oftentimes when we proceed, well, when we proceed before marriage, it's about pursuit. It's about something that involves. Um, or domination it's about conquering it's about like basically a lion running down the road grabbing its prey and then conquering the prey right and that's what it becomes about well when that portion's over then the chances of that marriage succeeding or them getting married and succeeding are low in fact 75 percent of people who engage in premarital sex end in divorce 75 percent if you want your marriage to succeed stop and put that thing on hold and get to know the person Sex is the icing on the cake. It's not marriage. And God made this to be beautiful and wonderful. And God forgive us as the church because we haven't addressed this issue very much in our congregations and with people. And definitely not with our youth. And our youth at the age of 12 are starting to have sex. And so all of our kids in here, I'm talking about this. And if your mom and dad haven't talked to you about it, go home and have a great conversation with mom and dad. And parents, you're welcome. But there's beauty in understanding this within the right perspective. Now, for our folks in here who've struggled with premarital sex, Christy and I didn't make it. We grew up in youth group. We grew up um, as Christians in good Christian homes. We went off to college, um, my sophomore year in college in Phoenix and her freshman year in college, and um, we didn't make it. We were three months, two months from getting married. We were engaged, and we spent the next two years of our marriage trying to overcome the shame and the guilt. And I'll never forget the night that Christy looked at me and said to me, God is present with us right now. And there's no shame and there's no guilt. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done. 
Christy and I don't have to be the 75%. We celebrate 21 years of marriage here in July, and it's only because of Jesus Christ redeeming our brokenness, overcoming our brokenness, and our repentance and our confession. And I tell you this tonight, today, to not excuse what we did. That was unexcusable. But God is in the business of taking brokenness and making things new. And there's hope. But first, it begins with a confession. It begins with an understanding. Is God, that's not what you intended for me. And I need forgiveness for that. So that that can be dealt with. That can be over with. And we can stop justifying our sin. And it begins with us saying, you know, that was wrong. And going to each other and saying, you know what? If, if that's y'all, then letting each other know that, guess what? It wasn't right. And forgiving each other. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth about who he is, makes it possible for us to know who we are in him and to have amazing marriages. It makes it possible to to worship God together and be strong here. It makes it possible for us to know the unique roles God has given us that he has clearly exemplified already for us within the Godhead and that we can live this way because of who he is and what he's done. And if you're struggling in sin, and and you're forsaking your spouse in marriage right now, I challenge you to repent and confess and turn away from your sin and then pursue God so that you can have an amazing marriage together. There's three questions that are in your bulletins that Jeffrey's going to come up and talk about in a second. Those three questions are intended to help you answer this question. Is the gospel informing you of marriage? How do you, what do you know of marriage? How do you know of it? Do you know only of sin and anger and hardness of heart and bitterness and resentment that somebody messed up somewhere along in the marriage and you're refusing to let that go because if you feel if you let that go that they're going to be one up on you and you've got to hold on to that. And so forgiveness doesn't have a place in your marriage. Are you refusing to understand that God made each one of you unique in the marriage and instead of celebrating those things, you're fighting them like it said in Genesis when it talked about the curse. Genesis 3, it talks about, you want to know why marriage is hard? Because Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, God said that the man will rule over his wife and that rule is this domineering kind of thing and the woman shall, excuse me, the woman shall desire to rule over him and he will have authority over her and this idea is of a nasty, excuse me, nasty, messed up relationship where she wants to have authority and he wants to dominate. That's why marriage is hard as sin. But because of Jesus Christ, it does not need to stay that way. He has come to make all things new. And your marriage and my marriage is part of all things. And so we can have victory over brokenness and get back to the way things were supposed to be in the garden. Is the gospel informing you of your marriage? Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for our time together. Lord, this is one of those topics that as we wrestle through Scripture together, I pray that your Holy Spirit would powerfully work in our midst. And if there's sin to be confessed, Lord, I pray that we would confess that sin and we would find victory because of Jesus Christ and grace and that marriages would begin to heal and men would lovingly lead their wives spiritually. And women would desire their husbands to lead and, to, and desire to see their husbands in that way and support them and encourage them. And give them the help they need in order to lead well. 
And Lord, in the, as we do this, we are a reflection of your glory, of your image, and we glorify you as we live this way together. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. turn to a time of reflection in the in your guys's bulletin there's three questions it's the first one is how does Christ's redeeming work change my identity as either a man or a woman and husband wife the second one is how does the gospel make the need to be married something that is positive versus negative and the last one is how is our perspective of sexual intimacy redeemed by Jesus and this morning as I sat here and I started thinking about it I started thinking about myself as a husband of first off as a man, like who am I as a man? And I know this week of sitting in sermon chat with, with Glenn and Scott, I've had to reevaluate uh, how I lead my house. Um, do I hold my, my wife accountable to be in the word? Do I hold myself accountable to be in the word? And do we do it together? And that's kind of that piece that I've taken, I've taken out of it was, Man, being a man is not fun at times. I wish I could just go back to my boyish ways, like my childish ways. And But we're not called as men. We're not called to do that. We are called to be firm in, in Christ. And I know that is my, my biggest struggle. And as I'm sitting here thinking about it, man, thanks a lot, Scott, for I started off great. And now I'm like, huh, this is I got some meat to chew on this morning. But as we get a chance to reflect this morning, we're going to we're going to do it three ways. We're going to we're going to spend a time of reflection through song. We're going to sing and praise a redeeming Jesus. Uh, someone who came and perfectly lived on this earth, died on the cross, was raised and now sits the right side of the Father on behalf of us. So we got to we got to praise that. Second, we're going to do it through communion. Throughout this time, when you feel ready, the communion table is, is back there waiting for you to partake as a family or or maybe as a, a someone in this room who's got a conflict or a struggle and you're struggling maybe with someone in here or a friend or your spouse or your child and you're like trying to figure it out and, and it's a time of forgiveness and, 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 and to do that and do it together and take communion together or as a group of friends. Uh, and lastly, through giving. And we do ask, if you are a, a guest this morning, if you're just visiting, please let the, the bucket go by. Um, here at LSC, we, we give through, through what God has given us. And, and we do that because we call this home. We call This is our family. We want to take care of our family. And so when we give, we're giving because that's what we're called to do as a family. And so if you're a guest, we just ask for you to just let it go by. But, you know, if God is calling you, go ahead. But at the same time, we really just ask that you just enjoy this this morning with us and, and praising. Let me pray. Oh. Father, how beautiful is this uh, relationship that you share with the Son and the Holy Spirit? One God, three in one. We see it. I just ask, Lord, why is it we can't we can't live it sometimes? Why, why do we let ourselves get get ahead of ourselves? So, Lord, I just pray as we get to sit here and reflect on just this message this morning, may we just be bold in you. May we just use this time to just reflect on who you are in our lives, Lord. 
And we thank you for this morning. It's in your son's name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm thankful that we get to sing about that he can do it for us. <clears throat>